Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, as you said, I, I work for dispatches. I'm, I'm very proud to do so because I think it's probably one of the last of big, jagged rocks of investigative journalism left on British television. Um, and we make a lot of fantastic programs. Um, but I'm here not as in any way a representative of Channel 4. I'm just here as a very old journalist who's been doing this for a very long time. And so these are purely personal views. Um, I apologize, I have no clips to bring you. You'll have to put up with me talking, so I will keep it as short and sweet as possible. Um, and also because I think you're such an interesting set of people, I'm more interested in hearing what you think than what I know I think. Um, now, Oxford is obviously a very prestigious academic setting. Please don't expect an academic thesis from me. What I'm not going to do is set out a nice, straight, linear thesis with a clear argument at the end. What I'd like to do is actually present you with a triangle. I'd like to give you three points, which I think are extremes, but which define, I think, many of the aspects of the relationship between politicians and journalists. And then hopefully what we can do is discuss the ground that those lines define. So, let me give you the first point on my triangle. And the first point is a quote. And it's a quote that is often attributed to Jeremy Paxman. And those of you who don't know Mr. Paxman, he is one of our finest, most renowned television journalists. And he is an interrogator of politicians par excellence. And he actually didn't say this. He took this quote from somebody else. That somebody else is, and, and he, he says in his book that he's taken it from a man called Louis Heron, who was actually a former deputy editor, I think, of the Times. And Louis Heron said that when he approached any politician, his attitude was, why is this lying bastard lying to me? That was his starting point. And I think it's a great starting point because we are journalists. Our job is to expose, to shine lights in dark corners, to go all the places we're least wanted, to challenge and scrutinize the people in power. Inevitably, puts us in conflict with politicians. We pride ourselves that we're going to ask them really tough questions. We're not going to let them get away with delivering the party line that's the only message they want to get across. No, we're going to smash through that shell. We are going to expose the truth because we are heroic crusaders for the truth. Of course we are. That's the top of my triangle. The second point of my triangle to you. Um, I remember years ago interviewing the president of an African country who happened to be a remarkably short man. And we turned up to do the interview and uh, we were given a room and we were told the president we were with you in half an hour and we did what we do for television. We rearranged the furniture, we put the chairs together for the interview, set up the camera and my fixer who was a very renowned you know, local journalist of a very high reputation, was becoming increasingly agitated, and all sorts of conversations were taking place that I couldn't understand. And suddenly, the door opened, and in was brought an enormous chair, quite literally a throne. Mm -hmm. And the chair that we had set for the president was taken out, and the throne was put down. 
And that was because my fixer, as a journalist, considered that his role as a journalist was to make his president look good. His little man had to sit tall in front of this nasty foreign journalist. And literally, I have to tell you, the president's feet did not touch the floor. He was like a little boy with his feet like this. So for me, that is completely unacceptable. That is not like this, that is like this. This is politician and journalist working to the same agenda. I'll give you a second example that actually happened just up the road from here. Um, I went to the wedding of um, the daughter of a man called Robert Maxwell. Robert Maxwell was sort of the, the Rupert Murdoch of his day. He was a press baron, an enormously influential man who believed that his influence extended not only over the media but over politicians. And um, for a series of bizarre reasons, I ended up going to the wedding of one of his daughters. And at the time, I'd just spent a year working at Westminster, so I knew a lot of political faces. Just after the 79 election, when Labour had been thrown out and Margaret Thatcher had come in, and to my astonishment, here was most of the Labour government at Robert Maxwell's daughter's wedding. Were they close personal friends of the family? I really doubt it. I think what they were, were politicians who'd been invited to drink his very nice wine, eat his very nice food, enjoy his very good hospitality, and be reminded that he was a man who had the power to make and break their careers. And that in return, they would possibly look favourably on the business decisions he made that allowed him to continue to be a press baron. To me, an unacceptable relationship. Would I invite politicians to my wedding? No. I would be very flattered if one or two of them wanted to invite themselves to my funeral. But that would be massive there. <laughs> so that's my second extreme. That, to me, an unacceptable closeness. Let me give you the final point of my triangle. And my final point of the triangle comes from the Committee for the Protection of Journalism. Last year, 44 journalists around the world were killed. This year, so far, the figure is 36. Now, some have been killed because they were in conflict zones. Some may have annoyed drugs cartels. But half of those who were killed were political journalists. They were murdered because they were political journalists. This year, 145 journalists, last year, sorry, have been jailed. Jailed by their own state. The worst offenders, China, Iran, Eritrea, and Burma. That's the price that journalists in many countries pay for their bravery in confronting their own politicians. And I think that's something we should never forget because we have the freedom to manoeuvre, and they don't. And so we should never lose that freedom, lose the right to claim every square inch of the ground in which we can manoeuvre. So those are my three points of the triangle. I think it's probably easy to agree that none of us want to sit on any of those extremes. The issue is, for me, as a British journalist, working in theory with a free press in a democratic society, what is the relationship, what is the ground that I want to occupy within that triangle? So, first of all, I think politicians and journalists can fruitfully use each other. If we make an incredibly important programme, perhaps a scandal over childcare, 
the excesses of the Israeli army, whatever we may do, if a parliamentary committee takes an interest in that, decides to use our program, investigate further, it can lead to real change. And Dispatch has recently made a fantastic program about Sri Lanka and the abuses of the government. It has led to a political storm. That's good. If we can kick up a storm, a political storm, that has a life beyond the transmission of our programme, I think that's a very good thing to do. I made programme about rape, and a number of MPs asked to see it, and they then put pressure on the government to change the law. And when the Home Secretary, who was then Michael Howard, announced, unfortunately, a very small change, but it was a small change, he quoted from our programme in the Commons when he announced that change. So I think that is a mutually beneficial relationship, and we shouldn't be so cynical that, that we reject any sense of <coughs> cooperation. How often do MPs leak stories to journalists? because they want to embarrass the government, they want to get their viewpoint out first, and we get the story. I mean, that's what we do for a living. So if it works to both our advantages and nobody is compromised in the process, I have no issue with that. That's not to say it's a principle, because I think you have to judge each of those on its merits at the time. You cannot say, this is a good way to operate, this is a bad way to operate. Tell me what the facts are, show me what the source is, let's work out what the story is and why you're giving it to me. As the Americans say, I want to know where you're coming from. But if I'm happy with all of those things, fine, let's do business together. But here's the other side of it. And the other side of it, for me, comes from two huge political scandals that are still ricocheting around the UK and will impact on both politics and journalism, I think, for many years to come. First is a scandal that broke about, what, three years ago now, about the expenses that British parliamentarians can claim. Suddenly we discovered that our MPs were claiming for extraordinary things like sweet little wooden houses to put their ducks in on the lakes in their back garden. They were claiming to furnish and maintain both their beautiful houses in the country and their lovely townhouses in London. And these were furnished and paid for by us, the taxpayer. And in some cases, they were breaking the rules. But in some cases, they were operating under the rules. It was the rules themselves that were deeply flawed. And who uncovered this scandal? Because it wasn't the journalists who are closest to politicians. This story was not broken by political correspondents. This story was broken by journalists who specialise in freedom of information requests and a general news team on a newspaper who were leaked a DVD showing all the <coughs> documents that these MPs had filled in to claim their expenses. So if you are a political correspondent, how do you balance the needs of your job? The needs of your job say, I need to be friendly with politicians, I need to have good contacts, they need to trust me so I can get stories out. But I need to keep a professional distance so that when I see a story in front of my nose, even if it alienates the people I have to deal with every day, I'm still prepared to run that story. 
And I think it's a difficult balance, and it doesn't just apply to political correspondents, it applies to crime correspondents, who are sometimes too close to the cops. It certainly applies to sports journalists. I broke a story a long time ago about sexual abuse in football that was well known to several sports journalists. And generations of small boys had been abused by a couple of football coaches in particular at world-famous clubs in this country. People who played for England had been sexually abused by football coaches. And if the football correspondents had not been so close to the people they were covering, that story should have come out long ago. So it's not specific to politics, but it's in sharp focus at the moment. But there is another story that is breaking all around us that I think puts our whole relationship into even greater doubt, and that's the phone hacking scandal. So in the last year or so, we've come to realise that a story that has bubbled along for a long time is much bigger than we ever thought. Journalists on the news of the world were listening in to the voicemail messages on the phones of celebrities. We didn't care about that. If we got some tittle-tattle about the lifestyle of celebrities, we didn't care. The story was out there. It wasn't really a big story. Then we discovered that the journalists on the News of the World were also listening to the messages on the phone of a young teenage girl who had been murdered, on the phones of the parents of two other children who had been killed, and suddenly, rightly, belatedly, we were scandalised. But the story (coughs) is not just about the hacking. The story is what has then emerged about the very tangled relationship between journalists and politicians. Because one of the editors of the News of the World, a man called Andy Coulson, resigned after it became clear that journalists on his paper had hacked into the phones of some members of the royal family. A few months later, he turned up working for first the Conservative Party and then David Cameron as, I think, his Director of Communications or Press Advisor. So a man who had been one of Rupert Murdoch's right-hand men running one of very, very influential papers has now moved to the heart of government, literally stood next to the Prime Minister. Should we worry about that? Well, it certainly happened before. Alistair Campbell, who was the political editor of the Daily Mirror, a left-wing sort of newspaper, which was owned by Robert Maxwell, the man whose wedding I went to who was a very, very controversial character in his own right. Maxwell drowned in very weird circumstances in 1991, and many people, once the boss was dead, came out and said, yes, we always knew he was a bastard and we hated him. Campbell didn't. When another journalist made a joke about Bob Maxwell, Bob, Bob, bobbing in the water, Alistair Campbell punched him in the face. So his loyalty to Maxwell was not apparently entirely diminished by Maxwell's death. But Campbell then became Tony Blair's press spokesman. Press spokesman come attack dog. Campbell had a reputation for ringing up his former colleagues in the world of journalism and screaming at them in the foulest language if they dared to criticise his new master, Tony Blair. He had crossed from the cosy world of journalism to the cosy world of politics. 
with Cameron, we have suddenly started hearing about what we now call the Chipping Norton set. Chipping Norton is a very pretty town just up the road from here where David Cameron happens to live. One of his neighbours happened to be Rebecca Brooks, at one time an editor and then one of the managers of the News of the World, the paper that was hacking into people. You have to ask, would the government, would the police have taken this criminal activity, because that's what it is, it's criminal activity, would they have taken it more seriously, acted quicker, taken more action, had the prime perpetrators not been working for a hugely influential paper owned by Robert Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, and run by close friends and neighbours of politicians of all parties. And it is all parties because not that long ago we suddenly learned that Tony Blair, our former Prime Minister, was actually godfather to one of Rupert Murdoch's children and according to Mrs. Murdoch, was a close friend of the family, which rather makes me wonder who is godfather to who in all of this. <laughs> this, again, this is back to my relationship that makes me deeply uncomfortable, because I think journalists and politicians, we are animals of a different breed, or we should be. Journalists should be questioning, scrutinising everything. That's our job. Politicians are there to deliver a message and a party line. I think we are two breeds who should not be too close together. And I think that we have in some ways been complacent and we have defined the relationship between journalists and politicians by extremes, the kind of extremes I outlined on my triangle. You could probably think of lots of others. But I think maybe we've been a bit complacent. I think maybe we have moved too close to the close relationship. I think we've maybe not asked enough, not dug deep enough, not scrutinised carefully enough. I think we arrogantly believed that we were immune from the kind of sycophantic fixer who provides a big chair for his president. And maybe we are not. You only have to look across to that great democracy of America and its free press and look at Fox News and its slogans, which are fair and balanced reporting. We report, you decide. And as far as I'm concerned, what they are doing is providing an equally big and very comfortable chair for Republican politicians. I see little difference between them and my fixer. I think we are thankfully free from the brutality of regimes that slaughter its own journalists, but that should just make us more grateful that we are, more determined that we exercise the freedom that that gives us. And I think that we have prided ourselves that we have held the lying bastards to account, and maybe we haven't. And I think maybe the best thing about the scandals of the last couple of years is that it's a good time to debate where we are in this triangle and whether we should just be moving a little closer now to the lying bastard point of view. So that is what I think. I'm much more interested in what you think. Thank you.